Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. And it is the beautiful Hill Country in Dripping Springs, Texas. Good morning. Well, it's afternoon now. Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. I hope you enjoyed talking with uh, 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 Robert. Uh, oh, man, he's a, what a cool guy. A yoga guy. Uh, just really, really fun, wasn't he? And uh, so we'll, we'll uh, talk with him more. He talked about breathing and all kinds of cool stuff. Okay, if you'd like to be on the show and talk with our next guest, who I think you're going to really like, uh, you can call at 888-663-6386. Email patrick at oneradionetwork.com. It is the 16th of August, in case you're lost. And uh, this is oneradionetwork.com. Somehow I came across this young lady because I kind of, as you know, I've been talking about it, started eating like lots of meat three months ago. Matter of fact, almost all meat, almost, you know, pretty much. And I got to be the carnivore thing and I don't know what happened, even how it happened, uh, but it did. And so, you know, these people start coming to you when you start getting meaty and somehow I came across Kate Cavanaugh and she's a lovely lady and she lives in the upper part of New York there on the Vermont border uh, 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 south of the Adirondacks. Woo! And uh, she's a regenerative farmer and a butcher, my goodness, and uh, talks about animal-based diet and we have a lot to talk about because it's so fun and the soil. Her thing is like mind, body, and soil, similar to our mind, body, and soul. And I suspect they're close to the same thing. Miss Cavanaugh, Good afternoon. You look great. How are you doing? How are you? Uh, I'm fantastic, and it is just such a pleasure to be here, Patrick. Oh, well, you're very kind. So you must live up there, and we all say it wherever we live, God's country, but it's really pretty up there, huh? I think it's all I think it's all God's country. You know, I'm from the <laughs> West and I miss those wide open spaces yeah. and I miss that I miss that dry heat like you have down in Texas. Yeah. But I'm here and it's stunning. I mean, it's beautiful right now. And tell tell us about the landscape uh in uh, uh around the Adirondacks. Uh big trees, good soil. Tell us about it. Big trees everywhere, lots of hardwoods. And so we have a whole sugar bush. We're on 65 acres and we have about 25 acres of maple trees and mixed hardwood forest, which is just stunning, something I'm not accustomed to coming from out west. And then we have pasture land. And we actually here on our property have a little bit of wetlands as well. In terms of soil, it's not the best. It is, it's, we farm rocks up here. (laughs) And so we have, we have, (laughs) a really shallow layer of topsoil and so it's not going to be that rich loamy humus soil from the west Mm -hmm. but it it's ours and it's home so you say you're from the west so you're married and how did you two end up up there where you are you know, so we ended up here because land is cheap up here. Ah. And I have a I have a butcher shop in Denver, Colorado, where we we have a whole animal, 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, pasture-raised pork and lamb butcher shop that we've been running for the last 10 years. And we just couldn't afford properties out west. Yeah. And we looked around the whole of the United States and just kind of ended up here. And so, so our listeners and Patrick, that your host here, can buy your meet online and you'll ship it to me not yet we oh, are we I are see. working, working on, on shipping on but if you are in denver you can come to the shop and you can you can I pick see. it up in store and so in denver do you all buy the whole 
have the whole cow and hang them up and chop them up and everything. Talk about that, that whole process. That is correct, sir. Wow. Yeah. So we bring in whole animals. And this is part of a relationship with farmers that we think is really important. We're purchasing the whole animal, which means we're taking the cuts that many people might not want. And then the onus is on us to help deliver those to the consumer. Mm -hmm. And we bring in about four whole beef a week and about six pigs and handful wow. of lamb. Wow. All grass-fed, grass-finished? All grass-fed, grass-finished on the ruminants. So ruminants being things like beef, lamb, if we brought in any venison. And so uh, the beef and lamb, they got different tummies and they, they can eat grass, yeah. right? They got different, right? Yeah. Right? So, yeah, you want to talk about that a little oh, bit? Oh, I love it. Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah. So I think that this is really important to note, especially as people are looking to source meat. And it, it sounds like, and from what I've listened to you, you're, you're on the meat train and I'm, I'm deep on the meat we train. On the meat train. <laughs> I don't know how I got here, baby, but I'm here. <laughs> One of the most important things to me, whether it's for a human or for livestock is that we're following a biologically appropriate diet that closely mimics that of our wild progenitors and mm. so the you know the iterations of cattle that came before the domestic version and what happened is there was a really beautiful symbiotic relationship between ruminants which are bison cattle pronghorn deer venison you know all across the globe this relationship that was built on reciprocity between these animals and grasses and so grasses would be in relationship with the soil where fungal networks and bacteria in the soil harvest organic matter in the form of rocks which are like compressed time <laughs> and so they bring those minerals into the plant Whoa. and the animal eats that plant tissue and those minerals become part of that animal and in turn the animal gives the soil nutrition in its urine and manure which are fertilizing and their hooves are stomping down the seeds and so there's this symbiotic relationship between plant and, and ruminant and they really act as these ecosystem engineers but they're only meant to eat grass that is that is the sole Whoa. source of their diet. I got goosebumps when you're talking about that. What is that about? Maybe when you hear kind of the truth about stuff, you just kind of go, "Whoa, that is so cool." You know, I live in in, in uh, just an hour west of Austin, and it's really rocky, caliche, and all these cedar trees grew up, and there used to be cabillions of cows around here, and there was grasslands, right? Grasslands just everywhere here in Texas. What? What, 100 years ago? I don't know. But 150? 40%, so 40% of the United States used to be grassland prairie, whether it was Whoa. short or tall grass prairie, it was 40%. And that organism is just an incredible organism for for ecosystems. I mean, it's, it's for water capture and it's for Everything. capturing carbon in the soil and for all of these microbes and growing these 20 foot long tap roots that can manage the dry climate in the West. Interesting. So, so 150 years ago, there was just moo cows everywhere where I'm sitting and the grasses stayed because the cows kept the, the, the soil beat up because of their hooves and then they peed and pooped. And did that affect, do you think that affected the weather? Yes, I do. And so it would have predominantly been bison at this time, bison. as well as some some pronghorn and venison. But yes, so 
cattle participate and I'm not I'm not so great at explaining this piece in water cycles. And so all of nature is part of a cycle. And I think we can name there's a nutrient cycle and a mm. mineral cycle and a carbon cycle and a water cycle. And then there are all these cycles that I'm positive that we we don't know about right. and that we haven't <laughs> even dreamt about. But one of these is is the water cycle and Walter Janey's work really elucidates this idea of how water absorption especially in these prairies where what's going to happen is those those perennial prairie grasses which means that they come back year after year build these really deep root systems that help open up this really beautiful loamy topsoil that we have in the west and that means that when rain comes that topsoil can absorb the rain yeah. but what happens when we take over with kill an industrial agriculture, kill all the bison, kill off all the grass, start raising corn and soy, Whoa. is that we deplete the soil's ability to absorb water. Mm. And that water just runs off. And with it, it takes that layer of topsoil. Whoa. And we lose, I think we lose somewhere in the neighborhood of several tons of soil per person on this planet per year. Whoa. And so Whoa. we're losing this material this medium that is really the life force of the earth you know there's one billion microorganisms in a single teaspoon of soil really? and so this is this is life that we're that we're losing and and fertility fecundity all these things wow man that is such a trip when you think about it so i wonder where we humans went wrong or whatever evolving and and killing all the buffalo and then killing all the cows and then i don't know you know what i'm saying i mean how did we get how did we get to where we are you know did did we just take the wrong turn somewhere along the way and do you think and the second part of it kate do you think that we could if we were really thinking right we could have figured this out without and still had all the food we needed and all the places to live we could we could have right if we would have absolutely could have so I think we can point at a couple of different points in time where maybe it all went wrong. And I think it's easy to sort of try to deduce this in 2020. We could point to, you know, what Wes Jackson calls is the problem of agriculture, which starts 10,000 years ago when we sort of lay down our hunter-gatherer tribes, which are based on abundance and moving and being, being with the land and with these cycles of nature. Hmm. But we can also point, you know, and David Montgomery is a really beautiful resource for this. He wrote a book called Dirt, where he points at topsoil erosion as what has broken down civilizations throughout time. Really? Whether you're looking at ancient Egypt or the Greeks or the Romans, is that we eventually outstripped our soil's ability to grow enough life to feed the population density that we were feeding. But and I'm going to point to one more space. Mm. I think we really start to shift around the Renaissance and around the time of Newton and Descartes. We get into this really reductionist, linear model of looking at things. And so instead of viewing things through the cycle, which is how we view time and nature, right? Mm -hmm. Summer turns into fall, turns into spring, turns into winter. And within that cycle, you can see birth, death, decay, rebirth, death, decay. Yeah. And, and this is the model for our civilizations. But we switch into looking at all these separate parts 
without looking at how the sum of the parts, you know, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And we get really into this reductionist idea and we break with that cyclical, that cyclical idea of nature. And I think there, so there are little fractures yeah. throughout so, time. So philosophically, spiritually, somewhere along the line, uh, these guys all came out there and said, well, this is the way it is, Descartes and, and all these supposedly intellectuals and God knows what yes. they were up to, right? You know, they did the whole thing with the cosmology too, with uh, even with, um, I don't know, the Freemasons and uh, Einstein and all that. They, they, were, they made stuff up. They just made stuff up. And everybody yeah, believed them. I don't know them. about that, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, they just did. It's complicated. Yeah, they did. They just made stuff up. And could, and if you had a blackboard and fuzzy hair, then everybody thought you knew what you were talking about. <laughs> so um, so this whole idea of hunter-gatherers, and I've talked to a lot of carnivore types, you know, the last three months, uh, that's their argument that, well, we were hunter-gatherers, you know, for a long time, and we ate a lot of meat, and we didn't eat a lot of vegetables, we didn't eat a lot of fruit. And the fruit that we did eat were just little baby things, right? They weren't big apples, you know. Um, so is that the real uh, um, cogent argument if you're sitting at dinner and somebody says, man, that meat's not good for you. What do you, what do you how do you tell, talk to them about it? You know, I look at this through the, the evolution of the human species. Uh -huh. We have 2.4 million years of evolution here where we're eating meat. And if you view that through the lens of a 24-hour clock, we've been eating meat for 24 hours. We've been eating wheat for six minutes. And so it's just Whoa. such a small <laughs> section really? of time. Oh, yes. I love it when they do that, been, when they do this clock thing like that. We've been eating meat, wheat for six minutes and on a, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And meat for 24 hours and processed foods for seconds. Seconds. And just like we were talking about this reciprocal relationship between ruminants and grass, there is a reciprocal relationship, I believe, between humans and meat, because in many ways, this is a this is a co-evolutionary tract. A co-evolutionary. So you're you're arguing in a bit to spiritually or you know reincarnational that these animals were there for us because it was a gift from God or whatever however you want to say it mm -hmm. and then they recycle too right and they just yes animals are souls too I mean it's not like yes. they die I mean they just can I yeah, yeah. Go ahead. can I speak to this yeah, yeah I've been thinking a lot about this lately I've been thinking about the the sacredness of eating meat which is something that I feel like is often missing you know we run around in these wellness communities and these spiritual communities and there's a lot of veganism a lot of vegetarianism and i think we've lost that throughout human history the act of eating meat was a sacred act mm -hmm. and you see all of these rituals uh whether you're looking through the archaeological record or you're looking at you know native americans or mesoamericans that have these rituals around the hunt and around meat eating mm -hmm. even now in papua new guinea uh, in the last whaling culture that's left, there's all these rituals. And I was thinking about this the other day, and my husband mentioned the idea of the in in Judeo-Christian traditions, the burnt offering, which in Hebrew actually means it's it's the word Ola, and it means to ascend. Ah. And I think that this is this is so beautiful because I think that what it is to be here in this physical plane right now yes ma'am depending on what you believe if there are other planes of existence like this 
act of eating meat of cooking meat and that smoke going up to god the gods you know whatever you believe and that really is this essence of life and that essence of life and i love looking at this through the lens of minerals is that death is the transition of one into many that when a fox dies in the forest its carcass is scavenged by maybe coyotes and some other you know maybe a bear comes along and then it begins to decompose and the minerals that made up its bones go into the soil and create this prolific amount of plant life in that time it's really nourishing the soil earth demand demands mm. her pound of flesh mm. and so those minerals are then getting uptaken by you know these little fungal networks and these bacteria in the soil into the grasses that are then being eaten by deer that are then maybe eaten by us and so i really believe that this is the place where we see all of our physical material recycle through deep time wow that's very profound wonderfully said and then the minerals that you talk about in their key and we can dig more into that with the soil it's really one of the the really uh, substantial things with our evolution. As we, as long as we have the right minerals in the proportion, then we 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 thrive, right? And we evolve and grow and change and get strong and survive, right? Yes, absolutely. And you can even meat began to change our evolution because it's a very nutrient dense material and it required less digestive capacity and so there's something called the elegant tissue hypothesis hmm. where our guts you know great apes gorillas chimpanzees have these really long intestines because plant matter is really hard to digest that's why ruminants have these four chambered fermentation chambers as stomachs and so what happened when we started eating this really nutrient-dense, mineral-rich material, especially organ meats, which is a favorite of mine, is that we had more energy to burn, and that energy went into creating bigger brains. It went into creating bigger brains. So in theory, we, got, we had the capacity to learn more, you know. In theory. In theory. In theory, <laughs> yes. Right. Well, we tried. You know. <laughs> <laughs> we're working on it. We're working on it. We're, we're talking with Kate Cavanaugh. And uh, what is your main, is your main website carnivore? What is it, main website? Groundworkcollective.com. Oh, Groundwork Collective, yeah. And then you do a, um, is, is Dish with Kate you too? Dishing with Kate? What? Dishing with Kate? Is that you or is that another Kate? That oh, is not. Never That's mind. a different Kate. It's a never mind. Carnivorecast.com is you though, right? No? No. Which one is you? What's your podcast? See, there's somebody. Jeez. It's called The Groundwork Podcast. The Groundwork Podcast. Yeah, I see it here. And it's a nearhome.groundworkcollective.com right? yeah that's where you can find a farm finder so that's our farm finder so if you want to find a farm near you you just type into that little farm finder and it finds 100% grass fed meat right near wherever you are you type in your zip code yeah so um, to those who are new at this what is the real difference um, pros and cons of 100% grass fed finished and finish then with corn, even it's a, even it's organic, non-GMO, cool stuff. What's the difference when we eat it nutritionally? Yeah, 
So there's going to be several differences and some of them are going to be, we're, we're kind of getting into like realms of theory, but number one is that when you're eating 100% grass-fed beef, you're going to see a higher omega-3 to omega-6 ratio. And so that ratio is going to be really important um, from an evolutionary standpoint. That ratio would have been about one to one, one to two in our diets. Mm -hmm. Now, in the traditional American diet, that ratio looks a lot more like one to 15, one to 18. Hmm. And so, we're consuming all these, they're polyunsaturated fatty acids or omega-6s, linoleic acid. And so, in that grass-fed beef, you're going to have a better omega-3 to omega-6 ratio. You're also going to get an animal that was eating the diet that it evolved to eat, and it's going to be healthier for it. But there's also this little piece and the work of Dr. Stefan Van Vliet, who's at Utah State University, is really interesting for this. He studies what he calls the dark matter of nutrition. Wow. And so, these are all the phytochemicals that are in those grasses. And we, we usually think about phytochemicals when we think about eating produce. Mm-hmm. And we think about things like carotenoids and tocopherols and different terpenes. But what happens is that those phytochemicals that are in plants and in the grasses that these animals are are eating actually bioaccumulate in the tissues of that animal. And you are seeing ratios, you know, Stefan's work is pretty early in all of this, but he's seeing ratios where grass-fed beef has 5, 10, 15 times the content of phytochemicals in their meat and milk as their corn-fed comparatives. And these phytochemicals I don't, even, I don't even ever heard of phytochemicals, but they're good for us. They're, they're, they're good for us. Yes. So, these are going to be what we'll consider like an antioxidant. So, ah, okay. beta carotene in, in a carrot, but mm-hmm. there's, there's tens of thousands of them within plants. Within plants. But, but why, do, why do so many of the carnivore folks and keto folks uh, conjecture yeah. that the plants, they have all these things, you know, because they don't want to be eaten and they're not too good for us. Is that true? Yeah, so this is, and I love this, and I think that we're really just beginning to understand it, but you have, you know, you have these anti-nutrients in plants, things like oxalates, things like lectins, uh, just a whole a whole array, uh, glucosinolates, a whole array of different chemicals that are preventing that plant from being eaten because it can't get up and run away. And so it has to have, it has to have these defense right. mechanisms. I'm a broccoli and I'm here, place. dude. And you know, so I got to, yeah. I mean. Yeah. So. And so it's only defenses to make the animals trying to eat it maybe a little bit sick so I that see. they don't come back for more. But what happens when we have a ruminant that co-evolved to eat grasses and these plants specifically is that they're neutralizing and I can't, we're still learning about this. So this is really okay. early research they neutralize the part of those phytochemicals that our bodies have a negative reaction to and they take in the good stuff and put it in their meat and so it's it's sort of a little bit of having your cake and eating it too right so would there be would there be some grasses depending on uh, the part of the country would have more minerals and would actually be a better product maybe 
Yes, absolutely. So grasses, plants, forbs, shrubs, you know, and ruminants eat all of these things are going to vary in different parts of the country. And they're going to vary depending on the health of the soils that mm. they grow in, yeah. that they're really dependent on those healthy soil networks and the fungal networks and the all the microfauna that are in that soil to really be healthy. And also whether or not that soil has been exposed to glyphosate, which is going to be both an antibacterial right. again we're seeing one billion microorganisms in a single teaspoon of soil but it's also the first patent on glyphosate was as a mineral chelator and so it's going to pull all of those minerals that we need zinc magnesium copper etc out of the soil out of the soil so that's how it kills the plants right it's it's a part of that uh, the yes. weeds they claim the weeds right yes and it does the same thing to us. We've had Dr. Stephanie Senefon a few times and from MIT, and she talks about the glyphosate thing. And so it's actually doing the same things from us. It'll it'll scrunch the the minerals out of us. Huh? Yes, and I think I think that this is true. That when we look at the soil. That's just a part of us. It's just a reflection of us. And so we see these, these mirrors and these analogs between soil health and human health because I really believe that we are one and the same. So elaborate on that. One and the same spiritually, mentally, physically, everything, really, if we look at it carefully, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think all of those things. And so I think we talked about the way that minerals bioaccumulate up the food chain to become us. But mm. we also have this idea, and I'm going to use a, a religious text, but that you you return to the dirt, right? Like we return right. to the soil. And so our bodies become that and it's just recycling matter. But I think right now we have this really interesting phenomenon where we're seeing really similar aspects of soil and human health. And so we're losing fertility in soil because the topsoil is er eroding. We're also losing fertility within humans, right? Sperm counts are down 50% from 1960. Yeah. One in four women will have troubles conceiving. And these are these are anomalies throughout, you know, throughout history and time. At the same time, soil fertility is declining. Our minerals are declining, soil's minerals are declining. And so we see all of these parallels because I believe that through this act of eating, we are the soil. And there is this sort of, there's this connectivity that I, I can't quite explain, but you have mycelial networks that span hundreds of miles. I don't think we even know the ways in which we are and are not connected. And you see within our microbiome, right, we have the amount of DNA from bacteria, fungi, viruses, even parasites mm -hmm. within our bodies outnumber our own DNA almost logarithmically. Whoa. And so here we are populated by all of this microfauna and there is the soil populated by all this microfauna. And I just don't think we can even begin to understand the ways in which we're connected. Wow. Spiritually, I mean, you get it. You can just see it. And it's hard to explain, right? As you say. So then it's a real interesting argument to say, well, when we just got rid of that and said, well, let's just plant corn and weed and it'll be great and you can store it. Even the Egyptians did it, right? They stored rice and all that and, and their health declined, didn't it? I mean, yes, their yes health it declined. did. And their soil declined. Their soil declined. Precipitously. Yeah. And there's an argument that, that the fall of the Egyptian 
empire was predicated on the amount of topsoil that it had lost damming up the Nile. <laughs> really? Wow, there's just no accidents. I mean, we are so interconnected, right? Inexplicit. Wow, just trippy. There's a fellow about oh, an hour west of here um, that started to pull up all the cedar. That the cedar somehow popped up when, you know, when all the the desert desert. How do you say desertification? Desertification. Desertification. Thanks. That started happening in Texas, you know, and so he pulled out all the cedar. And then he used this cedar to build these uh, these things on the hills to stop the water. What are they called? Um, probably you know what oh. I mean. Yeah, you know what I mean. So they 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 put them this way, you know, on the on the hills, and then the water soaks down, and then the water starts to spring up springs. And you should see this place over there. It looks like another world, another world. Just taking the cedar out and keeping water on the land, just like you were talking yes. about with the with the soils, you know, with the grasslands. Yeah. Wow. And it's so important. And you can see this, you know, if you get two farms next to each other, and there's a there's a beautiful video on YouTube at Will Harris's uh, ranch in Georgia, mm -hmm. in Bluffton, Georgia, White Oak Pastures. And he has a YouTube video of the water. There, it's a huge rainstorm, and there's water running off of his property, which has been regeneratively farmed for about 25 years. And the water running off a neighboring property that's practicing conventional monocrop agriculture, growing corn and soy and the water running off of the regenerative farm is clear i mean there's there's nothing in it it's just running it's clear, clear. and the really, one wow. off of industrial is just uh, opaque with silt and so you can just see the topsoil that's running all the fertility the life that's being washed away with this rainstorm so the opaqueness you're arguing that it's uh, the minerals yeah, it's the it's the it's dirt, and and I would make this argument no. that dirt is what soil becomes when it's no longer alive. Dirt is what soil be. Okay, that's what we call dirt, right? That's what we that's what we have yeah. here. Desertification. I can't say that word. Anyway, that's what we have here. So, how did all these rocks get here? Where I am? I mean, the caliche and all that. I mean, that's just what happens over time when when the animals leave and the grasses go. This is this is tough. So, and we're getting into territory that I can't That's fully right. explain. We're getting into some geological territory, but you have you have rocks that lift up, and this happens with water cycles because what is happening is the rocks are kind of pushing up, and the dirt is washing away, and you're exposing more and more rocks more as more. you lose topsoil. But I think it's more complicated. Than sure, that. sure, sure, sure. So then, there's no accident that in areas even like this where it's not raining. I mean, I don't believe the whole man-made global warming thing. I think that's made up. Yeah, I, it's, it's, so it's not raining. And so we've created these situations. Karmically, we have to, right? There's no mm. accidents. I'm not blaming myself for not getting rain for the last three months. Thank you. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. Uh, we, yes, we are, we've right? Created these. We've created yes. these situations, yeah. right? Yeah. We're excellent at, and I think that this is so hard to explain, and I like that word karma for this. Uh -huh. I think that we've created this in just sort of our intergenerational cycles of creating scarcity. 
and here it is made manifest in our soils there's there's not enough there's not enough to go around and i mean you can unpack this through time and i think it gets it gets tricky right yeah. all the strings that we could pull up but i agree that there is an element of karma here and then it's no accident then on the on the on the strange level in the matrix you know the illusion that's out there that we look at which is not real in my opinion that they're just trying to tell us that meat is bad and there's not enough water there's not enough food and not enough this and there's not enough that and isn't it interesting how that's going on right now oh i think it's very interesting and i think that here is a campaign to disconnect us from life from life from fertility yeah from vitality yeah that there they are there is this campaign and this great sure. day and we can argue i'm, I'm <laughs> whoever sure they you are. do argue whoever they are you know klaus schwab whatever yeah. <laughs> there is this <laughs> this campaign to disconnect us from the most nourishing foods for our bodies and to take away this vitality and life to purchase up farmland across the united states and leave it barren mm -hmm. and have these soils desertify with a lack of ruminants and i i don't think that it's a coincidence and i think that it is severing us from a life force and from communion with that life force because i think that as hunters as farmers getting to connect with death and birth and decay and life in all of these cycles really connects you to this physical realm whatever this is whether it's a simulation or not it's yeah. real to me Who knows? and so yeah it, yeah yeah um but i think to disconnect us from that process and from death in particular to say that that you can opt out is disconnecting us from our grief and from this beautiful i think about it like this beautiful universal seesaw like we need to experience these low lows and this grief to connect with the high highs of joy and connection oh. that we're capable of here in this lifetime as human beings and i think that we receive so much of that through participating in our food system yeah. and that really that really tends to you know coincide with this whole idea that doesn't seem terrible anymore. It seems to be dying out. I don't know. This whole idea that I got an email the other day, and Patrick, you know, it's just really, if you have to live to, if you have to eat meat to live, then that's just evil. You know, that, that idea. And I don't think people understand what you've just said. Yeah, and I think that that's, I hear that a lot, and I, I hear a lot, do. well, how can you participate in death? But I don't think that there is death inherent in any food system. And if you have monocropped land where you're growing corn and soy to make your impossible or beyond burger, you are displacing wildlife, and that wildlife is dying. You are destroying the soil, which we just talked about, has one billion microorganisms in a single teaspoon. Oftentimes, you're applying herbicides and pesticides that are destroying insect and, and small microfauna life. And you're creating something that nature abhors, which is a monocrop. And then you're using all these mined materials to, right? Like you're going out and you're mining steel and whatever to make these big conveyor belts. Right. And you're using fossil fuels for plastic and lithium for batteries and all of this stuff. And I think that we don't see that those are extractive technologies that require death too. Mm. And so I would rather be there holding 
that space of death firsthand with my animals, which is what my husband and I do. We process all the animals right here on farm. Wow. And and going into that hard space and getting to be close with my food and what I believe is a sacred act of eating and of being with that animal through its life, through its death. And I would much rather have that than the the veiled an unknown death of an impossible burger. Well, impossible burger. There's a there's a wonderful series out uh, um, called Yellowstone. I don't know if you've seen it, but it was a great great scene. Yeah. Great scene with Kevin Costner and this this gal who he kind of had a thing with, and she was a revolutionary vegan, right? That was demonstrating and got thrown in jail, and she was really arguing about being a vegan and you can't kill things. And he was walking, and he goes, "Do you know how many?" things you kill when you just plant corn you know you kill the snakes and the frogs and the spiders yeah. and just like exactly. you said and the and the microbes you're killing everything so well yeah. you know what's the difference here with killing a cow it was a great line it the was a difference great scene. is that yeah. cow and and i is this if this is from the last season i haven't seen the last Sorry. season i think it is um but with the cow, that cow is enriching everything before it goes. Yeah. Like it is the transition of one life form into many, whereas that whole industrial system that's making that impossible burger is just destruction. <laughs> impossible burger. I haven't tried that. Have you? Have you, have you been? No. No, I no. don't think. No. Can no. you, can you uh, hang in there a minute and, uh, and talk to your Absolutely. cows for a second and we'll, We'll, we'll be right back with you, Kate Kevin, on this fun. Yeah, join us. We have a few emails, uh, 888-663-6386. We're uh, live here uh, today on uh, the 16th of August. It is about uh, 115 Central Time. Got a great show for you tomorrow. Adam Bergstrom 2.0. And then I'm um, not sure who we have on after that, but uh, I'll tell you. Uh, let's see. Let's talk about our terrific AquaCure hydrogen machine. Check it out. In our ongoing education about the AquaCure hydrogen machine, is Dr. Mark Circus recently on our show. You know, somebody needs oxygen. You always should have the hydrogen with it. Why? Well, even though medical science is only into hydrogen for about 10, 11, 12 years, 70 years ago, this guy, the Swiss guy, holds the record for deep sea diving, went down about 2,000 feet. How did he stay alive down there? Super cold, super pressure, super stress. He breathed 96% hydrogen and only 4% oxygen. Just to tell you what this gas can do when you're near death's door. My goodness. You don't want just oxygen, but it doesn't really help that much. But with hydrogen inside of it, wow. Sure, I'm liking mine. Where do I tell you more about it? Wow, yeah. We've had this hydrogen machine for uh, three years now, and uh, you breathe the hydrogen gas when you're just playing around like I do. I have a 25-foot cannula thing, and so I'm exercising, rebounding, working on my screenplays, doing yoga, uh, watching a film, whatever. I just breathe it, and then you can drink the water as well. Hydrogen is the number one molecule in the universe. It's kind of what the stars eat for breakfast. And there's a study here. I can show it to you. This is pretty cool. Uh, Scientific reports long-term and daily use of molecular hydrogen induces reprogramming of the liver metabolism. So you've heard of this fatty liver thing that uh, Kate was talking about with these PUFAs, you know, these polyunsaturated fatty acids, too many sixes in that or whatever. 
Uh, this kind of goes to the liver, and it's not a good thing, and really why, why people have a hard time. So the hydrogen seems to clean up the liver. I sent this to a couple of people, and they said this is a really well-done study. We don't make any claims on this thing, because, you know, when you make claims, well, then they send to you from YouTube, you know. So, um, <laughs> so anyway, if you'd like to get it, there's 20% off, 20% off promo code 1RADIO, and uh, I think you'll really enjoy having it in your life and your health, and it's an antioxidant that'll just, like, uh, unbelievable. Here's a product that we were introduced to. Let me grab my props here. Um, I don't know, two or three years ago. And Rulin Shu, she's a biophysicist, molecular biologist, a really cool lady. She actually knew she was going to do this uh, when she was a little girl. And this is called Pearl Sim. And what's cool is it's from real pearls. So it's a once living source. And as you know, uh, the Max Planck Institute and any people have always talked about anytime you want to do any kind of extra supplement that's not food, is it's from a living source, not made in a lab, which is that's all we promote. And this is from a once living source, pearls from real pearls, real pearls. And they, she crystallizes them. And then what you do is you get this little puppy. It's a beautiful white powder. And what you do with it is you brush your teeth. And it's the most amazing thing for your teeth. Your teeth look pearly, not uh, bleached white like they do in Hollywood, but pearly, and that's why it's called Pearl Sim. It's about 50%, you know, a lot of calcium, and then other minerals too and some target proteins. So it's the only way that we would recommend you take any kind of a extra calcium other than cow's milk, goat's milk, you know, butter, cream, and all that is uh, Pearl Sim because it'll go where you want it to go not in your arteries, which will happen when you take things from rocks, you know, calcium, which, you know, you don't want to do. So it's Pearl Seam. It's on our website, One Radio Network. This is the powder, and this is the, the and you can get both. And play with it, brush your teeth, and uh, your husband will take you out to the movies. Or some, whatever, something like that. <laughs> your husband will take you dancing. Yeah. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. We're talking with a very nice lady, and she is a regenerative farmer up in uh, upstate New York and has a moo cow. So so is that hard for you? I mean, well, knowing what you know about animals, it, you, it, they just, when it's time for them to go, they just go, right? I mean, that's that's it, or do you get close to them? Yeah. Is it hard at you all? You know, I'm a human, right? And I hey, you have look this like human a human. Yeah, you, you're one. Of, you're one. Of fear and death and a lot of what so I was a vegetarian in my younger years as a kid and as a teenager. And a lot of it was avoidance of death. Ah. And I really wanted to avoid participation in death in that same way that we were talking about earlier. And it is hard. I have a relationship with my animals. I go out there, you know, we have a steer right now and I go out and I scratch his back and rub his head and we're affectionate with one another. But I think that 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 love, that relationship is important. I get to be a part of his life and raising him. And when we harvest him this fall, it will be hard. Yeah. And and it will be joyful. It will feel good to feed my to to fill my freezers and to feed my family and so it's it's complex it's not a single emotion it's hard it's exactly. joyful it's connected so you really feel like this little guy 
I'm going to start crying sometimes. <laughs> you know, they really give their life for you, right? They really do. They, yes. They give up their yes, life for do. you. Wow. Yes, they do. And that connection and that that connection is sacred, right? It really that is. They, that there is this aspect of reciprocity. And my hope as a farmer is that I give enough of my life to them in return mm, that yeah. i am present that just because they are going to end up in my freezer just because i'm going to kill them someday doesn't mean that i can't give them my whole heart and my love in these moments that we're here together that's um, really beautiful that's really lovely yeah somebody just sent me a, a link i think to your butcher shop um, um oh let's see I have a freezer full of grass. Oh no, see, Kate Butcher Shop in Denver is the, is the title of the email. I have a freezer full of grass-fed finished beef, but I'm out of grass-finished beef. Can you get grass-finished liver from your shop in Denver without having to buy other beef? Oh, can you get yes, the liver? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we do have, we tend to be on a waiting list for liver. It's a hot ticket item, yeah, yeah. but we do sell it. You can go in, it's in our freezers and you can give us a call and reserve some sometimes and it is there, yes. Yeah, we go to the farmer's market and sometimes the liver just, no, oh, I'm out of liver, I'm out of liver, right? And he's out of liver. We have a- we a have popular a, thing right we, now. We have a couple thing, a uh, couple in, in the dripping, in the, near the dripping springs area that they have a genitive farm with pigs and chickens, and their pigs are all get their they're they're vegetarian, right? So they that's all they eat are vegetables, and they get them from the Whole Foods that throws them away, you know. And after the other places, people don't like them. Do you do pigs too? We do. So we have pigs and chickens and ducks and geese, and we are playing with this <laughs> idea. So pigs and and birds are monogastric so they have a single stomach just like we do right and so they're omnivorous by nature pigs in the wild chickens in the wild eat whatever they can find and i think you see this with the feral pig population in the southern united states where they i mean they will decimate anything and they'll kill stuff and they'll eat meat uh and yeah. and so what we're playing with though is that most pasture raised pigs and poultry consume in addition to their forage diet they need more there's no such thing as a grass-fed pig they couldn't survive and so they need something extra input and they're usually fed corn and soy yeah. and so we're doing a corn and soy and sunflower free blend for our hogs and birds because what happens when you feed corn soy and sunflower is again you get this higher omega-6 to omega-3 ratio because those polyunsaturated fatty acids are bioaccumulating in the fat of the pigs and the birds that are fed hmm. this material. So you don't think, I, I, maybe I was mistaken because I was under the impression that all this fellow's pigs eat was just vegetables. And, and, and It's true. Really, they can get it's by. It's true. So, yeah, I mean, they can get by, yes. I think that ideally pigs would eat meat. It's not legal to feed them meat. Uh, in the United States, but from a from a, a wild pig is going to eat all kinds of Anything. things, and it includes meat. And if you've ever had backyard chickens, you'll know that when they catch a mouse, the whole coop goes crazy trying yeah. to get a piece of it. And so, yes, vegetarian fed is a label that we put on pigs and chickens because it's 
what people want to see. It's also out of, you know, during the 80s when trichinosis, which is a foodborne illness, it's a parasite, was really popular. It was because we were feeding pigs raw garbage that included all manner of things. And so this whole vegetarian fed idea took off. But they're they're omnivorous and they'll take what they can get yeah. in a in a wild setting. It's pretty good food though. It's and I find I do really well with bacon is like like heaven you know what i mean it's like oh yeah it's like whoa (laughs) oh yeah we uh we raise pigs here we raise two different breeds of pigs and we just love it and we have this little smokehouse that's 120 years old right here on farm and so we'll harvest apple trees and we'll use apple wood to smoke the bacon like apple trees that the pigs were underneath and it just it feels like it's full circle yeah most delicious way and then how do you uh sell your meat up there do you people come to your farm to buy it or your farmers a little bit mostly mostly right now so we've only been here two years and mostly right now we just raise for ourselves and it's kind of experimental but we do sell occasionally from off farm so you're kind of smallish now but it's really into it so you is that your vision to to grow and just have more more and more stuff or yeah, we don't have a vision. I'm just here playing it by ear and seeing <laughs> what you. seeing yeah. what comes in. Visions will make you crazy, you know. It's like, what's that old saying? If you want to make God laugh, tell her tell her uh-huh. your plans, you know. Yep, yep, uh, that's true. And after ten years in business, I know better than to plan. Uh, what kind of business did you have? So we still run the butcher shop. Oh, the in butcher Denver. shop. Ah, uh, the butcher shop. Isn't that interesting? So you just couldn't do what you're doing out there because of. You know, all the Hollywood types go to Colorado to ski, right? And you just, just property is expensive. Property is incredibly expensive out west, and it's not as productive. Mm. So we have 65 acres here, and we can run a lot of animals on it. But 65 acres out west, we couldn't even afford it. We have we have barns, and we have a house, yeah. uh, and we would have paid four or five times what we paid here out west and part of that is just desirability and part of it is water rights which is a really complicated issue in the west that most properties don't come with water and so you have to purchase water if you can oh good and just (laughs) very complicated yeah 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 so how much rain do you get up there kate where you are in up in upstate new york you know, I don't know oh. the exact measurement, but it's it's pretty plentiful, and we yeah. also get a lot of snowfall. Uh-huh. Do you collect the rain, rainwater collection? We do not collect the rain up here. I don't. We don't really need to. Huh. Um, yeah. And we have like we have wells on property that that function just fine and are replenished just fine. I mean, it is a very different model than out west, and we also have a creek that flows through our property Ooh, and boy. multiple springs. Mo- so you drink the spring water. Yes, we do. Whoa, man. Here, uh, hi, Patrick and Kate. I'm just learning about shifting from fewer veggies veggies to more meat. I'm curious what Kate's and your opinion, Patrick, thoughts and experiences regarding the energy or vibration in food. There are those who profess that we are eating dead food when we eat meat, that vibrationally we are consuming empty, if not damaging, substances that only live fruit or veggies is best. We'd love to hear this, what seems to be a new wave toward meat consumption. Hmm. I have some thoughts on this. Oh, go ahead. You're, you're on, girl. Yeah. So I have some thoughts on this, and this is just my opinion, right? Sure. And, and I think there are a lot of conflicting opinions out there. 
but I don't think that there is anything with a higher vibration than meat in that here is an animal that lived in reciprocity with the land that took up all of the energy of the sun, all of the electromagnetism of the earth that walked through that, that absorbed those frequencies, those light codes from from the sun, from whatever you know latitude, longitude you're at, mm. and is really transmuting it into animal tissues. And I know there's this idea that plants have a higher vibration because again, they don't include this idea of death. But I think that when we take a step back and we enter into that sacred relationship as hunter and hunted, that that food is vibrating at a frequency that our biology understands, that the earth understands. And to be able to eat that, I know that I feel I feel deeply that it it does affect my energy in a positive way, but I know that that is not the prevailing narrative within spiritual communities. Sure, sure, I understand, and yeah, I understand. Um, we saw a a, a video of um, somewhere. I, I think they're doing a lot of work in Africa where they're actually putting these heavy hoofed animals down there just to break up the soil and bringing bringing it back. Isn't that cool? I mean. It's incredible. It's so just, that's Alan Savory. Yeah, Alan that's Savory. That's Alan Savory's yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Talk and about that incredible. a little bit, what he's doing. Yeah, so Alan Savory is a gentleman from South Africa, and he noticed the way that both ruminants and some of these uh, large elephants, giraffes, etc., in Africa, that their absence was destroying the soils and the grasslands in Africa. And he developed a type of grazing that mimics the grazing of nature. And I think that for us here in the States, it might be best talked about as bison. And so bison roamed, we talked about the plains being 40% of the United States at one point, and bison roamed in these tight little packs. And that was because predation, predominantly from wolves, kept them in these little packs and they'd eat down the grass and they would urinate and defecate, which would add microbes and help these water cycles and nutrient cycles on dry grass get back into the soil and then they'd move. They'd, have, they'd run out of good grass and they'd move and that would allow the grass to have a little bit of positive stress, which forced the root to go deeper and strengthen that plant system so that the plant could come back stronger the next year. And then they'd move on and they wouldn't come back to that spot until the year after, maybe a couple years later. And so Alan Savory decided that he wanted to mimic this system in something that, it, you know, within the Savory paradigm is called holistic planned grazing. Mm. And so what you do is you divvy up your pastures and you move these animals in a tightly packed herd through little mini paddocks in the same way that ruminants have roamed grasslands for time immemorial. And this really strengthens those systems. Sometimes it's called adaptive multi-paddock grazing, holistic grazing, all these different things. But either way, it's it that's what we do here is is a, a sort of holistic management style. Uh-huh. Do you have chickens? Do you have chickens? <laughs> We do chickens, ducks, geese, and guineas. What do you do with all? Do you, so you, you eat those ducks and geese and and eggs. You get the eggs, right? Both, yeah. So we all of them produce both eggs and meat. I had I had about fifteen chickens a few years ago, and they slowly just got eaten by foxes and owls and God knows what and raccoons. How do you deal with that? 
you just how do you keep the animals away from eating your, your chickens yeah, so we do, we have two livestock guardian dogs. Um, oh. Tom Bombadil and Goldberry are livestock guardian dogs, and they keep predation down. However, especially, and this is this is true of regenerative systems, when you build back up an ecosystem, you often see a return of aerial predators like eagles, mm-hmm. and so that is the biggest predation that we face. And even though uh, Goldberry in particular is excellent at chasing down aerial predators we do still have some loss but that's just that's part that's of the just job. part of the deal and what kind yeah. of dogs are they so goldberry is a purebred uh, great pyrenees mm. and tom is half great pyrenees half anatolian shepherd huh. and they just hang around the chickens and keep people away keep things from eating them huh so then, yeah, the then chickens that, the goats they're also they're also family dogs they yeah. also hang around us so so that way you can just let the chickens go and really do their thing with bugs and stuff and Yes, and we push them to forage. You know, chickens really want to stay in a dense little pack. They they? don't like new things and change. And so we have what we call chicken tractors, which are these little, they almost look like a little covered wagon. And they go in there at night for extra protection. Uh And then during the day, we push them to forage further for bugs. And we trail them oftentimes after our goats to pick up any flies and larvae that are in that manure and to kind of create this symbiotic system do you think there's a difference in quality with just a pure pasture raised free range and the people that because of weather have to feed them even if it's organic corn and stuff like that do you think there's a difference Oh, yes. I think there's a wild difference. And I've seen that difference because I've had, I mean, I've seen that difference in all animals because I've had a wide variety from a lot of different farming practices. But here I know that we feed our chickens less than most people and push them to forage more. Hmm. And they come out with this rich yellow fat and just so much flavor. And we know that that flavor is attributed to an increase in phytochemical richness from that Dr. Van Vliet's work that we were talking about earlier that we can taste these differences and i and i I know this from personal experience van fleet i'll have to check him out stefan van fleet dark matter is that that dark matter of nutrition uh v-a-n-v-l-i-e-t v-l-i-i-e-t so many of the people promoting the carnivore keto thing really talk a great deal about organ meats and you mentioned it how how important do you think they are to do the whole nose to tail and eat everything we can Yeah, so I think that this is incredibly important. And again, I think that from a historical and an evolutionary perspective, we would have been eating the whole animal nose to tail, the tough bits, the tender bits, Mm. the organ meats, and all of it. But in these organ meats, that's where you're going to find these trace minerals that you're not really going to get anywhere else. That's where you're going to find copper and selenium and manganese and rich sources of retinol and vitamin a Hmm. that we're just not going to find in appreciable amounts in anything else except maybe uh, to some degree oysters Oysters uh, and bivalves and things like that but it's a really rich nutrient source and i think especially for women of childbearing age for people that are getting on in years these are really important and culturally in more hunter-gatherer cultures organ meats are given preferentially to those to those demographics right and do you think that we would eat them just in proportion to an animal like some people say well you should eat liver two or three times a week but if you killed the whole cow I mean, you wouldn't have that much liver to go around. So some people say, well, no, wait a minute, just a little bit is good. What do you think? 
I think that this is a really complicated <laughs> issue. And so my opinion is that a lot of us come into this world at a deficit. When we look at what our mothers, depending on your age, your mothers and your grandmothers were eating, they weren't getting a very mineral rich diet. We're talking about, you know, the advent of the 1950s and microwavable dinners and all of this processed food. And so I think a lot of us are starting at a deficit. And while mm -hmm. I think that historically organ meat should be eaten in proportion to the rest of the animal mm -hmm. i think that right now some of us might need more therapeutic doses and i think we're also exposed to so many toxins in our modern world even for those of us that try really hard to avoid them yeah. that there is something to be said for getting a little bit more to mitigate some of modern world's issues mm -hmm. here's an email from Tommy. I've been following Patrick the last few months. He looks and sounds great. So I'm thinking about uh, doing this. Do you, <laughs> doing this, whatever that means. I guess he means <laughs> eat me. Right? So he said, do you think I can just jump in like he did or can should I start slowly? Yeah, jump in. Jump. Your body's meant for go this. Go for it. Just go. Yeah, I think go for it. If you are having issues and a couple of people Sometimes if we've been vegetarian for a long time, we'll see a decrease in our stomach acid and the hydrochloric acid in our stomach. We really need that to digest meat. And so I do recommend if you're ha struggling a little bit to go with low and slow braises that are sort of starting to break that meat down to okay. incorporate bone broth so that you're getting plenty of the amino acid glycine in addition to the abundant methionine and other amino acids in meat. But if you're having troubles, Low and slow, lots of cooked meat. Uh -huh. So the bone broth, how do you make yours? How do you make your bone broth? So we do spring water, and this is the most important thing. We forget wow. that when we're making bone broth, we want we want that good water. So whether whether that's filtered water for you or spring water, just no fluoride, no. none of the you know none of the horrible things that are in tap water. Uh, so start with good stuff, and then I like to roast bones. And that's going to add a nice caramelly richness to the broth. And so I'll roast them at 350 just on a cookie sheet. Try to avoid aluminum cookie sheets, but there it is. And uh, you add those, you cover it with water. I do about one pound of bones per quart of water. And then I'll bring it to a boil, add a little bit of apple cider vinegar, which is going to pull some of the minerals out of those bones, which is why good sourcing matters, because we don't want to be pulling minerals we'd rather not have and organic matter would rather not have. Uh, and then I leave it on a just barely there simmer for usually 48 hours. Whoa. And and it turns into jello like you can you can bounce a quarter off of it. So that all that and that's collagen, right? Is that what we we're working yeah. with, right? Wow. So that's collagen, which is actually the most abundant protein in your body. This really? is what makes up your cell membranes. It's what makes up your fascia and your skin and all of this tissue. And James Oshman wrote about collagen and called it the living matrix, Ooh. that this is the highway where all of the information in our body is disseminated. And it's also, it's piezoelectric. And so it's going to conduct electricity because we are electric beings. And it's also a part of what creates exclusion zone water in our body. 
bodies. And so I just can't stress enough the importance of collagen and the constituent amino acid in collagen, which is glycine, which is also a rate limiting factor for our master antioxidant glutathione. glutathione. So just so important. How would you get so geeky with all these nutrients, girl? I mean, you must have done a lot of research in the last few years, huh? Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> I've spent the last I've spent the last seven or eight years just diving into research. I'm really passionate about this, wow, and I, I really want to understand it at a at a pretty precise level. And so it's just passion, yeah. just love. Yeah, yeah, just love. Uh, this is Cindy. I started eating carnivore. Patrick encouraged me. No, I didn't. Well, I'll tell you. Okay, <laughs> uh, about a month ago, and I'm really feeling good, but. I'm not pooping very much, and I'm concerned. Mm, 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 mm. Mm. We talk about poop a, around here, so don't be shy. Yeah. Oh, we talk about poop in this household, too. I think that's important. And I, I'm, I'm a farmer, so that's mostly what I deal in, is poop. <laughs> <It's> poop. Uh, <laughs> but there are a couple of different theories on this. And so one of them is that because on a carnivore diet, you're using almost everything, there's really no surplus, mm. that you might experience pooping less frequently. Yeah. However... I think in general, for myself on a carnivore diet, I still go one to two times a day healthily. And I think that every body is going to be bio-individual. And I think you're going to have some symptoms if that's not right for you. And one of a couple of the things I'd ask you, and I mean, I, I don't know your yeah. whole history, yeah. and so that makes it hard. You know, are you adding minerals back into your water? Are you drinking filter water that's leaching magnesium from your body? And magnesium can be one of these minerals that we don't get enough of on a carnivore diet. And I find that I do best when I'm adding a little bit of magnesium into my water, as well as getting it transdermally in like a, a, a sea salt bath. Sure. And so that might be a component piece of this. So you and something that I would consider. So you don't think we get enough magnesium with just ribeyes or our butter or, you know, we don't, maybe, huh? I mean, different carnivores have different opinions on this. And my huh. opinion is that some bodies in particular need a little bit of extra magnesium. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting, uh, speaking of poop, uh, after about three months, I've really starting to see some real good changes in my colon and, and elimination took about three months for me to really, my body start to say, yeah, this is good, you know. It, it almost feels like my colon has got more mucus or something and they're sliding things out. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So not only not only maybe more mucus, but you're also going to see full shifts happen in your microbiome. And those shifts might take a little bit more time. So the bacteria that is really going to break down meat in particular, it's called putrefaction bacteria, I believe, mm -hmm. uh, is, is it's going to take a minute for that to adjust. And so that might be part and parcel of what's going on there too, is one month isn't enough for that full microbiome changeover to happen yeah yeah um listener wants to know uh would you ask your guess what her diet is does she eat fruit sugar grains yeah so i eat mostly meat and organ meats and i do eat a little bit of fruit seasonally that's around me and so we have apple trees here and we have tons of raspberries and black raspberries and i will eat some of those when it is seasonally appropriate uh -huh. we also raise bees and so i'll have a tiny bit of honey but i find that honey doesn't quite work with my constitution uh -huh. and how is your your blood sugar and energy levels on this diet 
my energy levels are fantastic and they are so even i'm actually about to embark on a little experiment with a continuous glucose monitor to actually just to measure see. Yeah. my just to see what's happening but i know that i have really consistent energy you know we talk so much about blood sugar here uh kate that and i think it's a big deal i i think it, boy you keep that sucker steady and you yes. feel good don't you i mean you just feel like whoa you can do whatever you yes, want you and just just keep going just keep yes, going. Yes, absolutely. And I think it it changes everything when you yeah. have that level of energy and vitality and you're also getting meals that are satiating yeah. and really last for a while. They have enough protein and fat, but they also, and there's some studies that we're looking for nutrient density as a measure of satiety, that when we have received enough minerals, that when we have received enough of those those things we might not be considering when we just look at macronutrients, that that is when satiety really happens. Mm -hmm. I'm just not hungry doing this. I mean, I don't get hungry. And no, I just wait till I get I. hungry before I eat. And that could be 12 hours sometimes. I mean, it's crazy. It's like, okay. But you know, my dog is lying here next to me. Say hi, Doodle. She's a, she's a golden doodle. And she eats like once a week, uh, once a day, you know, gr organic yes. grass-fed beef you know ground up yep, so do our dogs yeah and but there'll be times when she'll just not eat one night all the time she'll skip and then she'll skip the next night too i mean like two days it's isn't that interesting so, yeah wa watching animals eat is a real passion of mine is because it? i don't feel like they have the societal programming that we've had right. around food and that they can really select what they need for their bodies intuitively mm -hmm. and there's some work there's a gentleman named fred provenza who wrote this book called nourishment and he looks at the precision with which animals can adjust their mineral and micronutrient intake to fit their needs exactly wow. and i think that that is innate to all animals us being an animal but that we have so much conditioning that we really have to That's work right. to get out of it it's breakfast it's lunch it's dinner right? yeah we have this expectation we live in perpetual summer because we have these refrigerators and so we hmm. can just open it up and select whatever we want which goes against our very nature of wanting to explore our world and bring food home and connect with what our bodies need how about you kate cavanaugh and dairy uh, do you do you eat, do dairy and butter cheese so i do ghee but dairy does not sit well it doesn't with sit me with and you, i huh? have i try i try every year to reintroduce dairy but i have a lot of uh mental symptoms associated with dairy my really? husband uh, my husband eats a lot of dairy and we raise goats and we have goat milk and we have cows and we'll do butter and ice cream and all kinds of oh, things fun. from their milk but i just i get depressed after eating dairy and i have not been able to shift this for myself and how long have you been uh, on this carnivore diet how long Mm. say four years really four years wow yeah. and your weight just stays the same i guess did you lose any yes. or gain any when you just switched over no but i've been pretty consistent my whole life but i saw a lot of other improvements in my hair like and my skin mm. My nails, I have these, I actually keep my nails kind of long, which is crazy for a farmer and they <laughs> never break. But they, they're uh, strong. I saw huh? a, 
lot of changes in my menstrual cycle, which is considered the fifth vital sign for oh, a lot of women. Talk about that for the ladies. Yeah. What, what happened? Yeah, when you. So I think that this is so important that we should talk about this a little bit more. That your menstrual cycle, that your period, really operates as a fifth vital sign, <laughs> and you're getting you're getting feedback on a monthly basis that's telling you, you know, how things are working in your body, how that communication with your environment is going, hmm. maybe your emotional outlay. And so what I experienced was that I no longer have any PMS. I have no cramping. And I'll notice that if I if something changes a little bit in the month, you know, I hurt my hip at the beginning of the year and I wasn't going on my regular walks. All of a sudden, I had a little bit of PMS, and huh. I was like, oh, I know what this is. This is from not walking, and I'm probably not detoxing estrogen in that first part of my cycle where it's so important to offload that estrogen. And so, hmm. this is one of the biggest things that changed, and I think that oftentimes women are being sold this idea of low-fat diets and eating salads and you want to be light and airy and they're not getting enough of the fat and the minerals that they need to build sex hormones and to have a robust healthy cycle and we've also been sold this idea that our periods must be painful and while that is common it is not normal the normal state of things is to not have this be a painful experience. And I finally found that when I went carnivore. Wow. And then do you think regularity with the, with menstrual cycles is a sign of, of good health? Oh, absolutely. Really? You want to be regular. I think about this like the moon, right? Really? Like we, we would be a little bit concerned if the moon was at a 30-day cycle all of a sudden between full moons. And so you want to aim for, I mean, for women, it's going to be about a 27 to 29-day cycle. But mine tends to be 28 days to the hour. And no, it always to the happens hour? in the to the hour, <laughs> so and cool. it, and I cycle with the new moon, ah. and so there's a sense of connection there for me as well. Yeah. Do you have children? I do not at this time. That's something my husband and I are talking about. Yeah, talking about, and so it'll be great because you probably know when you're fertile. So you yeah, yeah you just. You know, when you yeah, want to have a baby, is, you have a baby. I mean, come on. Yeah, right? this is something we. This is something I track too, sure. and I think that there's nothing more empowering than understanding and being in touch with your body, and its shifts on this level, and and maybe changing the way you work and live, and it gives you just this aspect of cyclicality to kind of go back to what we were talking about in the beginning. Like I am a cyclical being, and to embrace the beauty of that and really revel in it. Uh, how many days are you fertile, do you think? Or if you had to say, how many? Yeah, so so females are, are fertile in about a 24 to 48 hour window. However, sperm can live inside of, of the vagina and inside of the uterus for five to six days prior to that. Whoa. And so you have to consider that when you're looking at when your fertile window is going to occur. But I think that there's this idea that we're just fertile all the time, but really it's just this really narrow window. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Same with animals generally or... No, they come. So in, they come in uh, seasonally, right? Or six months? Or yeah, depends. 
No. Different animals are different. And so in animals, we call it estrus and we call it a heat. Yeah, heat. And yeah. usually animals are on, and this fascinates me, I'm not sure why, most domesticated animals are on a three-week cycle. And so they'll go into heat every three weeks if they go into heat on a year-round basis, like cattle, for example, go into heat every three weeks year-round. But wow. things like goats and things like deer have seasonal estrus. And so they only go into heat during during the fall months, hmm. but that also applies to the males. And so what we see when we see antlers and we talk about the musky scent of a billy goat, that is a seasonal spike in testosterone that isn't present for the rest of the year that allows this whole mating dance in the fall to happen. Wow. Now, my, our dogs do a doodle every six months, pretty much every, yes. Six, yeah, yes. every six months. Yeah. Isn't it crazy that there's some animals that actually drop their antlers and then they grow the whole thing back? I mean, what, I think, what's that about? I mean, come on. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's a stunning display of how capable our biology yeah, is. And antlers, virility, our antlers are right? much stronger than bone. Yes, virility and fecundity and <laughs> their ability to, to put extra biological energy and it takes a lot of energy to grow something like an antler yeah. into this and so it shows you know when you find an elk or a moose with a big rack like it shows i am so well nourished that i can put all of this energy into growing something that i don't even need that i don't even need because i'm going to drop it off and do it again right Thanks. Yeah, and so you want my genetics because look how strong and nourished I am. Yeah, we we were promoting a product out of uh, New Zealand, really wonderful, called Elk Elk Velvet Antler, and they actually take the velvet yes. off these uh, off these guys. They don't, you know, farm raised. They don't put a tourniquet or shoot them up with drugs. They just take the velvet, say thank you very much, and then they make a product out. Very powerful. It's very powerful. Very powerful. Yeah. Very powerful. And I think that all of those, and I don't, there's immunoglobulins, there's <laughs> all kinds of stuff in elk antler velvet that are incredible because that is what's growing this. And then grow up to an inch a day. An antler can grow up that, to an inch a day, which is mind blowing. It's like a whole other arm they're growing, right? It's like, oh, I'm just going to grow another arm here. It'll be great. You'll, you'll like yes. it. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so those growth factors are incredible as a therapeutic medicine. Uh -huh. Here's an email from Margie. Uh, I'm 43, still menstruating. And just thinking, well, if I'm going to start going through the change, as they call it, is there anything I need to do or not do so it's not uncomfortable? Thanks for the show. Mm. Oh, good question. Mm. Good. That is a good question. And I'll, I'll admit that I don't know everything about this, but there are a couple of different things to consider. And I think the first one is that sometimes our metabolisms change as we shift into perimenopause and into menopause itself. And a lot of people find that when they do a more carnivore-ish diet, it's very supportive of that change. Huh. But that being said, I find that a lot of people that are healthy will carry their menstruation into their late 40s and 50s. One thing that I think you want to be really mindful of from my perspective is that you're producing enough progesterone. And so progesterone is the hormone that peaks in the second half of our cycle as we go into what's called the luteal phase. And as we age, that progesterone begins to taper off and that's when we experience some of these mood shifts. But 
Progesterone also is what keeps our airways strong. Hmm. And so you'll see more disrupted uh, sleep breathing at night, uh, you know, apnea events hmm. as as you age and so i think that keeping this up and one of my favorite things actually just for hormones in general is making sure that you're viewing morning morning light and so i don't know how much you've talked about circadian biology on your show but when we bit. get out when we get out and we view morning light within 30 minutes of waking it really sets all of our hormones including our master sex hormone which is called pregnenolone and pregnenolone can turn into cortisol and progesterone and estrogen and testosterone and what happens if we don't view that morning light or we're under a lot of stress oftentimes it will turn into cortisol preferentially and leave us in the dust where we need that progesterone and so i think that this can be a really good therapy as well going into that change are you speaking of just kind of getting out early or actually doing the sun gazing at sunrise with the eyes I think that's ideal. I think sunrise is ideal, but I think that if that's not what you can do, just and the best that you can around. do is just get out there, and then just get out there. And it's getting that, it's it's a measure of lux, which is a measure of the light that's happening, and you want 10,000 lux. And so you want to stay out there for five, 10 minutes, and you don't want to look directly at the sun. You know, not when, it's, not, what, not when it's high, right? I think you can do it when it's very low. They, they claim sun gazers, but... Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. I think it depends on who you're talking to. Yeah, everything depends on who you're talking to. Uh, <laughs> Isn't that this the is truth? From, this is, yeah, this is from Edgar. He's in South Carolina. Uh, Patrick has been talking about the organs as you have, and some people are offering grass-fed, grass-finished, um, desiccated in capsules. Does your guest think that these do the job? Yes. Mm. I do. do I think that there's something to be said for eating organ meats, but I also think that if that's not accessible for you for a variety of reasons, that capsules really are a great space to go. And there are a lot of different companies out there. If I'm doing just liver, I love Mother's Best Mother's liver Best. pills oh. out of California. Those, those are out. fantastic. But they don't have the the spleen and testicle blends that something like heart and soil is going to offer oh uh, the carnivore guy what's his face yeah, yeah. that's paul saladino paul saladino so you like the extra things in there so we think it they'll think they'll do the job for us if we don't can't get them I do. And one thing I want to encourage people, and this comes from being a butcher and, and many years of cooking, is that it's okay to hide these things. I think sometimes people go into eating organs and they feel like they have to enjoy them at the, as the centerpiece of their plate. And it's okay to hide them in ground beef and, sure. and chop them up really fine or hide them in a stew. And I just always like to get that in there. Our liver's worse. Our liver worse, right? I mean, you can think, I've, I've tasted some pretty great tasting you know, oh, liver. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, and I love the taste of liver. So I, you're talking to the wrong person for that because I just, I, I love the taste of all uh -huh. of these organs. Uh -huh. uh, uh, Karen, so your guest doesn't eat grains. You don't think we need grains? <laughs> <laughs> No, everybody is bio-individual, and this is the most important aspect of this, and I can't say what you do or do not need. Now, not eating grains is not the same as not eating carbohydrates, and so, you know, like I said, I eat a little bit of fruit. Uh -huh. That's an important part, and that includes sometimes things like zucchini and winter squash, which are fruits within sure. within the way they're that they produce seed. They're uh, botanical fruits, right? Anything with the seed? Yes. Yeah. 
Yes, mm. they're botanical fruits. And, and I eat some of those and I find that I need carbohydrates again to, to optimize my cycle as a woman specifically. Mm. And so I think that your carbohydrate needs are going to vary. But no, I do not eat grains and I do not think that we need grains necessarily. Mm. So you think berries are a good choice if you're going to do fruit? I think berries are an excellent choice and I think whatever is in season yeah. near you yeah. is an excellent choice. Right yeah. now, right now apples are coming into season. I've got tons of berries outside if I just go out in the woods, I can pick raspberries all day. And so those feel like great options for me right now. Well, you see, but we all go to Whole Foods and everything's in season every day. So that's, you know, that's the deal, right? <laughs> yes, we've created that's one more aspect yeah. of this perpetual summer and also of a global food chain. Yeah. which I think comes with its own issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, you're great to talk to you. I had a sur super time. Thanks for thanks for coming on the show, Kate Cavanaugh. Yeah, well, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Patrick. Oh. Well, we should keep in touch with you. If you need something, let us know. I'll send you the video if you'd like to put this out and show people uh, what you're about. So give folks all of your different places where they can find you if they're interested in finding Kate Cavanaugh. Yeah, so you can find me at groundworkcollective.com and my podcast, The Groundwork Podcast with Kate Cavanaugh is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And I also have a YouTube channel if you prefer to, to watch. Uh, if you're looking for meat near you, you can go to nearhome.groundworkcollective.com and find some awesome grass-fed beef wherever you are. And in terms of social media, you can mostly find me on Instagram at Kate underscore Kavanaugh. And that's K-A-T-E-K-A-V-A-N-A-U-G-H. So what's that website again to find a farmer? I think we want to make sure we're going to put this on your show notes. What's the name of that one again? Yeah. Find? Nearhome.groundworkcollective.com. Near near. And I can also shoot you an email with yeah, all of Yeah, please do. Yeah, that'd be great. And we'll put them all in your show page. And when we put this up on UB2B and BitChute and... We're just getting back on YouTube after we've been, you know, taken off for a, uh, a lot of years. Mm -hmm. and so now we're mm -hmm. just putting up the easy stuff and all the controversial stuff we just put on BitChute, you know. We're getting smart about so it. So they, they allowed you back? Well, actually, we had this account that they didn't know about that when we only had like three videos. So we're just building that back up and I think we'll be fine as long as we don't, you know, put up any... You know, crazy stuff, right? <laughs> well, I think that's fantastic. I just think all of this censorship is so it's, insidious. It's nuts. Huh? Did you get censored up there? Are you you're good? I did not. I okay. avoided it. Yeah. Well, you talk about good stuff. They don't care, right? About that. Well, yeah. I mean, it, sometimes I dive into some other things that I don't think yeah, they want well, you talking about. Yeah. Well, you don't about, use the V I, word, right? Touch and go. No, I don't. I do not use the V word. No <laughs> V words. You got to go like this, right? <laughs> Well, you're your joy to talk to, my best to your husband. <laughs> Tell your husband we said hi and all your animals and your dogs, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see you soon. Come back sometime, and we'll do okay. it again. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye, Kate. Bye-bye. Kate Bye. Cavanaugh, Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, she's a darling girl. Cows and horses and pigs and dogs and chickens and gut, ducks and geese. Okay, kids, we are going to uh, do something. Uh, I don't know what. Um... We're gonna we're gonna talk to Adam Bergstrom tomorrow. She was great, huh? Learned a lot of stuff. Kate Cavanaugh, Regina Farmer, and we'll put uh, all of her her contact thing, and you can you can contact her and send her an email if you're in the Denver area. Go to her her place there and buy some food. 
And that find a farmer thing, yeah, I'm going to check that out. We, we found a few places that I'm going to be telling you about as soon as I really can discern more of which is the best one that I like, the taste of the grass-fed, grass-finished beef that we are, um, that we are um, eating. But we do have one place right now that's really good. Do I have a slide for them? I don't think I do, but it's called Slanker's. S-L-A-N-K-E-R-S, grass-fed beef, Slankers. I don't know if it's grass-fed, but it's in our store. I'm going to go to our store and find it for you. So you go to oneradionetwork.com. You click on store to the top right. And then you click on, where would it be? Uh, we're, 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 re, we're renovating this whole thing. Home and home. Home and Grocery. I thought it would be there. It's not there. Yeah, we're gonna we're we're working on renovating this so you can find these things. Our favorites. Let's see if it's there. No. So where is it? Beauty and Healthcare Hormone. Not sure where it is. I saw it in there. I'm sorry. I should have did this before. Um, oh, here it is. Okay, I just didn't go down. It's under home and grocery. So the store, I'm sorry, food and superfoods. Home and, got a lot of names. We're gonna clean this up. Anyway, so that's where it is. And if you scroll down, you're gonna see grass-fed meat store, Ted Slanker's grass-fed meat, with free shipping, and this is a place in uh, Texas, few maybe a couple hundred miles north of me, and he's really, really uh, good meat. And uh, we like the the, um, the grass-fed, grass-finished uh, ribeyes is our favorite. It's very competitive with all the prices, and I've checked a lot of the prices out there. They ship them up real nice and, and dry ice, so they come all frozen. And uh, so check it out. If you're looking for a place to buy some ribeyes or whatever he has, he has all kinds of things. He's got chickens, he's got, uh, not pigs, but chickens and dog food. He's got some great dog food there too. It's called Slanker's Grass-Fed Meat Store, and it's in our store under Food and Superfoods on OneRadioNetwork.com. And just click on there and rock and roll and, uh, yeah, order up. You know, get some, fill up your freezer so you, you make sure you have some. And uh, do the ribeyes. I think you'll really like the ribeyes. All right, kids, we will see you tomorrow with Adam Bergstrom. Uh, yes, no, maybe, chronobiotic nutrition. And uh, I think he's working on a new book about sugar. And um, then we're going we're gonna to talk to him. That's what we're going to do. And who else do we have on tomorrow? I don't know why I don't remember these people. I just don't remember. <clears throat> Oh, uh, the lady who uh, had an out-of-body experience and uh, changed her life, you think? And she saw herself uh, as soul, from the soul perspective. And um, so that'll be after Adam tomorrow. So I love you all very much. Thank you. Uh, um, So go to BitChute where we have our videos. Or even go up to YouTube if you want to start building that up with us. uh, The YouTube channel, Patrick Timpone. And subscribe on, on both channels. So you know when we put new stuff, new new video stuff up. 
Okay, we'll see you tomorrow with Adam Bergstrom. I love you. Take care. Take care. Stay out of trouble. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.